In the song, It Is Well, I want to give you the background of that song. It's by a man, his name's Horatio, and uh, we sang that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I want you to think about all the situations, all the circumstances that come to you in life. Um, it's not always to say it is well with every situation that happens in life. Um, my kids, things would take place, and they were, my, we told our kids, one day you're going to be producers. One day you're not just going to be a consumer and eat everything. You're actually going to produce and be part of the uh, of financial responsibility in life. But right now you're consumers, and you guys just want, 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 want. And so we told them, uh, one day you're going to be givers, 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 and we try to install that in them. Uh, and not just be takers, but one of our statements, and they, my kids did not like to hear this statement from me, so they're always wanting, 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 and so they're always asking for stuff, and uh, they would come and say, hey, Dad, can I, and they would name their request, and I would say, well, let me ask you a question, oh, you know, and they do a little slumpy thing, and I'd say, can you be happy and not get your way, and they, oh, I hate that question. What am I supposed to say, Dad? And I said, no, can, can you be happy and not have your way? Because I want to tell you right now, happy is, happiness is not getting your way. You know, and, and all we heard from the kids when they were little was, I can't wait to get, become an adult, and then I can have my way all the time. Is that true? No, it's not true as an adult. But in their mind, they just thought, oh, when I become an adult, I'll get to have my way all the time. So I'd ask them, can you be happy and not get your way? Yes, I can. I say, really, you don't sound, oh, I can be happy. Dad, I really want to do this. Please, please, please. So anyway, that's what they, so I was wanting to teach my kids that happiness is not getting your way. It's not. And so when I look at this song that we sang, It Is Well With My Soul, the man's name uh, that wrote this song, his name is Horatio Spafford, and he was part of the age of living in America. He lived in Chicago, and he was an attorney, and he was also a part of real estate, and he had quite an empire, uh, you know, a fortune that he had developed in those years, and then the Chicago fire came right through and took it all away. And he lost everything in the Chicago fire. And then they were rebuilding their lives. He had five children and their son. He had four daughters and one son. And his son came down with scarlet fever and died. That's a very small child. So after these two very difficult, hard times, uh, he and his wife decided that they could use some vacation. So he booked the, his wife and four daughters on a ship to go to England. And he said, I'll be following right behind you on a, just shortly after you. But go ahead to England ahead of me. And so on their way to England, their ship sank. And all four of their daughters drowned. After they had lost all in the fire, they had lost their son. They had four children left and their four daughters drowned. And so when she gets to England, she sends a telegram to her husband. And it just says, saved alone what shall I do? And so he got on a ship to go be with his wife who was hurting. They were both hurting very deeply, having lost now all their children. And so as he's crossing the Atlantic, the captain, well aware of what had happened in Horatio's life, um, when they got to the point, the place, he told them, he said, this is where your daughters, where the ship went down. This is where your daughters drowned. And so it was at that place 
that he wrote that song that we sang, It Is Well With My Soul. Guys, how hard is that? No, really, how hard is that? I mean, it's, it's very difficult to go through life and, and, and lose, suffer loss. And I'm telling you right now as a parent, there is probably no greater fear that any parent has than to lose their children. We'd, we'd rather their own lives be taken than to lose our children. And they lost all five of their children in such a small window. But it was at that place that he wrote to the Lord this song, It Is Well With My Soul. So what does it take to have that in you, to be able to look at your God, the God who reigns over all the heavens, over all the earth, the God who created everything, the God who created you, the God who is sovereign, and he sits you know, on the, on the mountain in heaven, and he's the God who sits between the cherubims, and he has all power. And at any point, he could have diverted that, but yet he's sovereign, and he has all of his ways. They're perfect. How do you have this in you? Where does this come from that you can look to your God and say, it is well with my soul? Even when you're hurting. There's something there. And I want to look at what that is. I want us to turn, if you would, this morning to Matthew chapter 11. If you would, in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 11 and if you've got a worship uh, guide in your, with your worship guide, there's some notes that we'll be working through today. But Matthew 11, I think, has some of the answer that we're looking for today of how uh, Horatio Spafford could write such a song to his God and to stay devoted and bowed before God in such a beautiful way. I want us to look at your first blank there, number one, the ways of God. You know, trying to understand who God is, the ways of God. Who is God and what are his ways like? You know, we just had Easter. We just celebrated the, the Son of God who left heaven's throne and became a man. And then as a man, he lived not ever breaking one of God's laws in, his, in this Bible, which all of us have, but he did not. But this son of God became a man, he became son of man, and then he became the sacrifice for us so that we could have peace with God. And he's savior for all who would believe. What a strange way, would you not agree, for God to bring salvation, for God to save man, for God to bring us into his family. What a strange way for him to, to make atonement for our sin. I'm using big words, I'm sorry. What a strange way for God to bring us back to him was by his son. And actually God the son becoming man. Would you not agree that that's a little bit of a strange way to deal with our sin debt? What about Jesus' birth, his coming, born of a what? Yeah, a virgin. That's strange. God's ways are not our ways. He just, the ways of God are very different. And so for us to understand God and his ways, 
Well, I've got some scriptures here. Psalms 145, 17 says this. It says, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways. And then it says that he is kind in all of his works. Everything that God does is right. There is no wrong in God. Even when we can't understand what God is doing, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we're trying to figure things out, all the ways of God are righteous. He only knows to do right and to do good. What about this? Psalms 145 verse 3 says this, Great is the Lord, and he is greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Here's another one, Romans verse chapter 11. It says, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are all of God's ways, his judgments. They're, his ways are inscrutable, which means they're just impossible to know all of his ways. And for who can know the mind of the Lord? I'll be honest with you. Our kids ask questions even at such a young age. They ask, they're able to ask questions that I just simply can't answer. I don't understand all the ways of the Lord, to be honest with you. Even everything that God's written in his word, my mind and my capacity is not able to understand all his ways because the scripture says that his ways and his thoughts are what? So much higher than ours. And yet, he's a God that we can follow, amen? Amen. He's a God that loves us. He's a God that created us. He's a God that thinks about us and has his eye on us all the time. The Bible says that he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He's our God. And here's this God that, that we can't figure him out. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm glad I got a God that I can't figure out. I'm glad I got a God that's so much bigger than my capacities. I wouldn't want a God that I could actually understand and know every little thing about him. Because you know what? That would make him a much smaller God. His ways are literally unsearchable. And one day, like we read here, we're not just going to know him by faith. We're actually going to know him by what? By sight. And guys, I'm going to tell you this. All of his glory, all the goodness of God, we're going to be able to see his glory, all of his goodness. We're, we're going to have a veil that's going to be lifted from us. We're going to have these bodies that we, that we just sang about, that we're going to be raised up, and we're going to have these eternal bodies. We're going to have resurrected bodies. We're going to not have the, lim- the limitations, I don't believe, that we have right now. And it's going to be an amazing thing. Moses, he got to come into God's presence. And the interesting thing was, God said, I can't let you look upon my face. And all I'm going to let you see is some of my glory is what you're going to see. And he got to see some of the glory of God, some of, some of God's goodness. And it was beaming off of God. And, and when Moses returned back to the people, it said that his face was what? It was, his face was literally glowing with the goodness of God, with God's glory because he was in the presence of God. And the people were afraid of this glory that they were, that, that they were getting from Moses just because he had been in God's presence. And they were fearful and they made Moses put a veil on. Guys, God's glory, it's, it's all his good. I mean, the, the, the purity, the goodness of God. I just can't even imagine. And yet, what does Satan want us to do? He wants us to question God's goodness. 
He's always wanting to question. That's one of the biggest questions he puts in the hearts and minds of us. Even as believers or unbelievers, he wants us to question, is God truly good? Horatio, he took your son. Horatio, he took all your wealth that you built. Horatio, he took now your daughters. Guys, you see what I'm saying? He's always trying to create this doubt in us. Is God really a good God? And the answer is yes. Even when we, it, it goes beyond our understanding. Yes, he is. And one day what we know in part, we will know in what? In whole. We will. We will. One of my favorite verses is Deuteronomy. Write this down, please. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Make sure you know this verse. Make sure it's underlined. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says this, that the, that the hidden things belong to the Lord. But that which is revealed belongs to who? To us. That which is hidden. God doesn't reveal everything to us. He doesn't give us all the understanding. That's why it's faith. He wants us to come to him by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We don't just start with God by faith. But our whole relationship with God is completely by faith. Following after a God who truly does love us, even when we don't understand and even when we hurt. And sometimes there will be in your life where you'll just have to claim Deuteronomy 29, 29 and just say, this is one of the things I don't think I'm ever going to understand in life. This is just going to be hidden from me until I get in the presence of God. And when I'm there in his presence, I'm going to ask him, what was this about back in 2023? Help me understand, God. But he's a good God. That which is revealed belongs to us. I want you to know this too. The Bible in Isaiah 45 says, I, the Lord, I form the light and I form the darkness and I form peace and well-being, but I also create calamity. And he has a reason for these things. If you look at, there's a man's life in the Bible. His name is Joseph. And Joseph went through hard times, did he not? Joseph was uh, born into a family, a very wealthy family. And he was part of, uh, he was one of 12 brothers. And here is Joseph living. And there was some sibling rivalry going on. And he was, uh, his brothers were jealous of him. And there was a lot of difficulty that they placed on his life. And the bottom line is, they sold him into what? Into slavery. And he was sold into another country. He was taken from his family, and now he was a slave and, and with another family into Egypt. And the Bible says what? That we, if we track Joseph's life, and it's an amazing life, and I encourage you to read it. And Genesis, get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible yet, ask Pastor David. He'll be happy to get you one. But read about the life of Joseph. That is a life you'll want to read about. And Joseph was a man, he was a young man, and here he is in, in basically in, in the prime of his life. And we believe he was somewhere around uh, late teens, maybe early 20s, and here he is a slave. And for 20 years he was in this posture of being in some type of bondage, even ended up in prison. And his brothers had done this to him. And listen to what Joseph's words were when, he, when his brothers and him had circled back in life and were back together. Joseph had risen. God had pulled him out of prison, pulled him out of being a slave, pulled him out of being in prison, and put him in second in command in all of the country of Egypt. And do you remember what he said to his brothers in Genesis 45? He told them these words. He said, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. 
because you sold me here into, into bondage as a slave. He said this, God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here for you, a remnant of the earth, to keep alive many people here on earth. So it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. For he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and he has made me lord over his house and rule over all the land of Egypt. And then he goes on to say in, in chapter 50 that you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Did you hear that? Brothers, my brothers, <laughs> you, you think you did this to me, and in one sense, you did do this to me. But in the other sense, what? God sent me here. And though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Can you imagine the mindset, though, of what 20 years in this posture we think it was? Can you imagine what's going through Joseph's mind during these years? Quite a bit. In prison. Quite a bit of, what's happening, God? Where are you? Why am I here? I've done nothing wrong. How long is it? Is this my life? Is this what it's going to be until the day I die? What's happening? And yet we read this, and it's a great ending, is it not? See, we're Americans, right? And you don't have to just be American. You know, we, we just love a good story, don't we? We like it when the hero what? Yeah, well, the hero wins. We, we want the hero to always win. We want the good brother Joseph to win. And this story has what? A great ending, does it not? But I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And I want us to look at a man whose name is John the Baptist. This is not John, one of the disciples of Jesus, but this is John the Baptist. I want you to, just a little bit of background about who John is as we dive into this passage. John was the son of Zacharias, who was a priest. His mom was Elizabeth. They both were righteous before God. Um, they, were, they had no children. Elizabeth was barren. And, then, and at this point in their lives, before John ever came, they were, the Bible says they were extremely advanced in years. And so one day when Zacharias was in the temple doing his duties, the angel Gabriel approached him and told him that he would be having a son and that he was to name that son John. And so this would be a special child that would be given to them and Elizabeth. And so um, it's descri he's described this way, that he will lead many of Israel to the Lord. He will have the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will make ready and prepare the way of the Lord, the Son of God. And, um, and it says here that John was born, and, and he became strong in spirit, and that he grew up in a desert. His parents took him to a desert to raise him until the time of his ministry. Now remember this, his parents were very aged, so there's a strong likelihood that John's parents died when he was what? Very young at age. Okay, so I want you to be thinking about it. His ministry did not start until he was 30. He spent his life in a desert. Guys, a desert is about as appealing today, I mean back then as it is today. The Bible goes on to say that he was a man that would clothe himself, not in soft clothing, like we enjoy today in kings of those times and wealthy people, the Bible says. He was a man who was clothed in camel's hair. That is not fun as well. He was a man who ate locust bugs. He ate bugs and he ate honey. That's what he ate. That wasn't a delicacy back then. That was as odd 
then as it is today. Okay, I want you, people looked at John and said, you're a strange person. Why are you wearing camel's hair? That's awful, that's coarse, that's not comfortable. And dude, why, are you, why do you eat bugs and honey? And so this is who he is. He begins a preaching ministry. His ministry begins, and it's unbelievable. He's preaching about repentance, and just crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds of people begin to come. I don't know if he had, if he had an Instagram account, it would probably have a lot of followers. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We would, in, the worldly, in our eyes as the world, we would start saying this man is now successful in life. Because he has a lot of likes, he has a lot of followers, there's big crowds, he has, now has disciples, his ministry has started, um, it, and it's just taken off. And there's lots of people going through life change. So he's baptizing people down in the River Jordan, and they're just coming. Matter of fact, it's so much attention, the, the, the religious leaders of that day began to take notice of him because people are going now out to the desert and they're listening to this man preach and they're coming back and they're talking about this John the Baptist, this John the Baptist. He, he becomes a big deal and there's a lot of people focused on John. One day this man named Jesus, the son of God, comes and you need to remember these words because it's gonna come into play. John sees the son of God, here's the son of God, his name's Jesus, Came a human, born of Mary, and now he's grown and he's 30 years old. He's getting ready to start his ministry, and John sees him, and remember these words. He says, behold the what? Behold the what? The Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you need to remember those words. When John saw Jesus, he said, that's God's Lamb, meaning that, that's that's the son of God who's going to go to the cross for us one day. That's the son of God who's going to take our sin away. He then baptizes Jesus, and in that moment, descending like a dove comes the what? The Holy Spirit. And then a voice from heaven says what? This is my what? My son whom I am well pleased. Guys, this was done before crowds. John heard this. John saw this. John even said, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around. He knew who Jesus was. There was no question at all. No doubt. Everyone agree with that? No doubt at all. Now, with that being said, John continues to preach. He preaches, though, truth, truth, truth truth he preaches out against the king in that region his name is Herod Herod does something that's awful even today it's awful he takes his brother's wife and makes him and makes her his wife her name's Herodias now John preaches against that and says this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong the king's wife gets very angry and John ends up where in prison he ends up in prison and there he stays and you got to remember his whole life he's been where invisible he's been out in the desert his life has been difficult he was probably raised with no parents things finally take off for him and now he is in a prison a Roman prison 
And listen to this. He's invisible. He's forgotten. He's out of sight. (laughs) Would this be his life? God, why am I here? I did nothing what? I did nothing wrong. I didn't break one law. All I've done is obey you, and now I've been in a prison, and it doesn't even tell us how long he's been in this prison. He has no idea. He'll never leave that prison for the rest of his life. He'll be there, and that's where he's at. Now, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, that's where we're at. So John is in prison, and here's Jesus. His ministry has taken off. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on there to teach and to preach in other cities. Verse 2, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Jesus Christ, he sent word by his disciples. Verse 3, listen to what this says. And John says to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we be looking for another? What he's asking is, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Are you really the one that the prophecies we've been waiting all these years? Now remember, just he, at the time of the baptism, there was no what? No doubt at all in John's mind or heart that this, Jesus, that this one is the, this is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. There's, there's no doubt. I heard God speak. I heard heaven open. And I heard the voice, this is my son, who I'm well pleased. No doubt at all. But you've got to remember what's taking place in John's life. He's, he's, yeah, he's in trials. He's under much difficulty. He's under much distress. He's wondering what's happening, what's going on. You got to look to all of John's life. John and even his disciples followed with him. John was a man who was under a vow that he would never have any strong drink or wine touch his mouth. Um, he was also he, fasting, 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 fasting in prayer. And then along comes Jesus. And in John's mind, he's probably thinking that the Messiah, the Son of God, will be doing the exact thing, same thing that God instructed me to do. And now here comes Jesus, and and he and his disciples aren't doing a lot of what? Fasting. And they're not doing what? Abstaining from the the drink. Guys, do you hear what's happening? And Jesus Jesus goes on in this chapter, and he even even says, yeah, with with John, they they say he has a demon because he, what? He fasts and he stays away from drink. But Jesus they call what? A glutton. And in John's mind, he's trying to figure this out is, what is going on here, God? This doesn't make sense. Why am I in prison? I've done nothing wrong. And now I'm doubting, is Jesus even the Messiah? Is he even the one? Is he truly your son? Is he truly the Christ? Is he really the root of David? Is he really the the Lion of Judah? Is he really going to be the one, the Savior of the world? He had no doubt years before, did he? But because of the hard times, he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, are you really the one? Are you truly the one? He's been watching and hearing about Jesus' life and his ministry. 
And I'm sure he's dealing with a lot of issues in his, in his mind and heart. Look at it here at verse 4. So Jesus gives them an answer, the disciples. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. He didn't sit down and do a long theological study with them. He said, just give testimony. What do you see? Tell John in prison, what do you see? And he says, verse 5, this is what? This is what you're to tell him. The blind see, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have had the gospel preached to them. And he just shares, he says, just share a testimony what is taking place. And then he gives John some counsel. And this is the counsel that I go to over and over and over again when, God, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know why. I don't know what's taking place. This isn't the way I thought life would. I didn't think this would work this way. I didn't think we were going to go down this turn. God, I had no, why are we in this, this posture we're in right now? God, why is this struggle here right now? When, when, whenever your flesh, whenever the enemy starts to create these, these thoughts, this is, this is my verse, verse 6. And I don't want you to ever forget it because you're not going to be able to write the song, It Is Well, with your soul when your five kids are gone and all your fortune of your life, unless you can get verse 6 right. It's not the whole thing, but you've got to get verse 6 right. It says this, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Did you hear that? Blessed are you if you don't take offense with me and my ways. That's what Jesus is saying. God will bless you if you do not take offense with him and his ways, even when you can't understand why. So let's go into this. These doubts that are taking place. And by the way, that word offense, the word is scandalizo. It literally means for your foot to be entangled and to stumble, to go into a trap, to fall. And it even means this, to even have a heart or an attitude of anger over it. There's an emotion involved with it. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 26 that he says, all of you this night will be made to stumble and you will all abandon me tonight. It's the same word that he says to his disciples that at, after the Passover and communion, the last dinner there with his disciples, he says, on this night tonight, you're all going to scandalizo. You're all going to stumble. You're going to fall away. You're going to abandon me. Of course, Peter said what? Not me. Everyone else will, but not me. I'll even die with you. No way. And yet his heart did change. But there's a struggle. And so what do we do? How do we not take offense with God when, when, if we're truthful, we're, when we're really struggling inside with what's happening. Well, number three here, we like to focus on the endings. We like to focus on endings. We like it when the hero wins. We like to know the ending. We like to understand the ending. But what do you do when God doesn't reveal the ending? 
What do you do when you don't understand the ending? What do you do when a week becomes a month, a month becomes a year, and years become years and seasons? And what do you do when the ending is actually when we see with John? We would call that an awful ending because the end of it is John gets pulled from prison only to be what? Beheaded. He gets beheaded, executed. What do you do when the ending is what we would call awful? Guys, I want you to go back to that verse 6. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. See, it doesn't have anything to do with the ending, does it? It doesn't. It has nothing to do with the ending. Matter of fact, Jesus said about John the Baptist in this same chapter in verse 11, he says, there is no one greater than John the what? John the Baptist. Jesus says that. There's no one greater than John the Baptist. Do you think John's feeling that, that he's the greatest? I don't think he is. So you can't trust your feelings during this time, but in God's eyes, he's looking at John, and he says there's no one greater than John. And John is forgotten, he's invisible, he's in prison, and he'll never leave, and he'll be beheaded soon. And yet God says, there's no one greater than him. See, it doesn't have anything to do with your ending, does it? And you can't even control it. You can't change it. You have no power. But let's get to this word number four, bless. Blessed. Let's get to number four. Blessed are you if you do not take offense. That word blessed is makarios, makarios. It literally means happiness and joy that comes from who? From God. Do you hear that? It's happiness and joy from God. It doesn't have to do with your circumstances. It has to do with who? God is. It has to do with your relationship with God. Macarius. Do you think Horatio Spafford understood Macarius? He had to. To be able to write, it is well with my soul. And Jesus is reminding John the Baptist, listen, <laughs> you, you will be blessed if you do not take offense with me or my ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. All the ways of me, John, are righteous. Everything that I do is perfect. Even when you can't understand my ways, even when you can't understand what's happening to your life, don't take offense with me. Don't stumble. Don't fall. Don't get tripped up by your lack of knowing and what you're feeling from your emotions and your flesh. Asaph said in Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart fail me. Remember who I am. There was no doubt years ago. Don't let all this emotion and the feeling and the struggle and the difficulty and all that's gripping you inside right now, don't let it waver you. Because blessed is the one who doesn't take offense with God. Now let's be honest. If you're not careful, you can get angry with God, can't you? You can get angry with God. 
But you better be careful because blessed is the person who what? Does not. Be careful. I find the answer to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Guys, I'm gonna tell you, so how do you not take offense with God? Seek the things that are what? Above. Set your mind on things from above. Do not think like the world, do not think what this world tells you you should have. Whoever wants his life must first what? Lose it. That means to let go of everything this world says you should have. Let go of all that to gain what God says he has for you eternally. Eternally. Not everything's going to add up and be fair in this life, is it, in our eyes? It's not. We're going to suffer losses. Sometimes you're going to do all the right things and not get the right what? Outcome. And I want to tell you through it all, just know that God means things for good. God is righteous. God is perfect in all of his ways. God's ways are higher. One day, a veil will be lifted. You don't have to know the ending and you don't have to understand the ending to have joy with God. You don't. And it doesn't have to be a, a win column or a victory here on earth. The goal is obedience. Leave the outcome up to God. Stay in love with your God who's in love with you. Even when you're John the Baptist and you've had a hard life and things finally took off for you and then you ended up shortly where? In prison only to be beheaded because of the request of a young girl spurned on by her mom. His life was taken away at a birthday party of the king because the young girl Herodias' Herodias's daughter danced. And the mom said, ask for John the Baptist's head. It was an entertainment. It was a gift. And you say, that's what my life is worth? I'm telling you right now, there's none greater than who? Than John the Baptist. Out of the words of Jesus' mouth. Guys, I want to tell you this. Blessed to have joy and happiness in the worst of all circumstances. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good God? Isn't that a good God that will give you joy that goes beyond what's happening in your life, that goes beyond what you're feeling, that goes beyond your, your, your financial 
status? Isn't it a, an amazing God that gives you joy beyond whatever is happening in your life? You can have God's joy in you. That's a good God. That's the God I want. That's the God I want to be with not only in this lifetime, but for all of eternity. That's the God that I know. And guess what? <laughs> One day, do you think it's made sense to John the Baptist? Yes. But on this lifetime, no. And even one as great as John the Baptist, he still was questioning, are you what? Jesus, are you the one, the Messiah, the Christ, or should we look for another? And Jesus helps him and says, look at my life. Look at my life. And guys, that's what I want to tell you. You'll never make it to the joy of God if you don't just keep looking at the life of Christ and getting focused and seeking him out and setting your mind on things above and not get distracted with what's happening here in this world and what's happening with politics and what's happening around you and what's not happening, I can't tell you enough. He told the disciples of John, he said, get John focused on who I am and what I am doing and not to worry about what I'm not doing. Get focused on me. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the poor are hearing the gospel. Focus, John, on who I am. And don't take offense when you don't get your way. Don't take offense when life doesn't work out the way you thought it would. Don't take offense when you did A, B, and C, and now D is supposed to happen. Two plus two does not always equal four. I can promise you that. So I encourage you today, relationship, 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 relationship. Be focused on who God is and your relationship with him and let him fill you with a joy and blessedness from the inside out that can never be taken away by a king and his daughter and his wife or anybody have the true riches of God's blessedness. Amen.